This Restorative Justice Life is a production of Amplify RJ. Follow us on all social media platforms at Amplify RJ. Sign up for our email list and check out our website at AmplifyRJ.com to stay up to date on everything we have going on. Make sure you're subscribed to this feed on whatever platform you're listening on right now so you don't miss an episode. And finally, we'd love it if you left us a rating and review. It really helps us literally amplify this work. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to This Restorative Justice Life, the podcast that explores how the philosophy, practices, and values of restorative justice apply to our everyday lives. I'm your host, David Ryan Barcega Castro Harris, all five names for the ancestors, and I'm the founder of Amplify RJ. On this podcast, I talk with RJ practitioners, circle keepers, and others doing this work about how this way of being has impacted their lives. Today's guest is Ruben Roberts, born in the UK, raised in New York, now working with restorative justice for Oakland youth in, you know, Oakland. Ruben, like many of our guests, has been doing this work longer than he's known the words restorative justice. We talk about his experiences bringing a restorative perspective as an adult working with young people in group homes, schools, and more. He also runs monthly webinars for California-based restorative justice practitioners to get connected and share resources. Even if you're not in California, it's still a great way to get plugged into the work. You can find all the ways to get in touch with him in the show notes, but now it's time for you to meet the man. Here's our conversation with Ruben Roberts. Welcome, Ruben. Hey, hey. What's going Who on? are you? Who am I? Um, my name is Ruben Roberts. Um, I currently reside in the Bay Area. Um, I mm. work in Oakland. Um, I work for Restorative Justice for Oakland Youth, our joy, as most folks <laughs> would know. Hold on and just one uh, sec. Yeah. Hold on one sec. Uh, I don't think I explained it to you. So I'm going to ask you, who are you? Seven times. So don't burn them all in that in that first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. So you just want a short answer for each one. Um, you get seven responses. So however long you want to go. <laughs> Sheesh. Okay. All right. all right. So, who are you? Who am I? Um, a native of the UK born in Birmingham, England, of Jamaican descent. Who are you? Raised in the East Coast, um, Jersey, New York. Um, exposed to a lot of a lot of crime and a lot of, you know, rough, you know, upbringing. Who are you? A son of, you know, an immigrant family that um you know, made a lot of sacrifices to to make it in this world. Mm. Who are you? Someone that, you know, does, you know, restorative justice and doesn't see it as a job, but more so like my purpose. Mm. Who are you? Ah, man, someone that just, that just loves life, you know, and and wants to create space for everyone to, to feel welcome, to feel appreciated, and feel supported. And finally, who are you? A black man living in this society, navigating through this system of oppression and trying to redirect generational curses and build generational wealth 
Mm. Wow. Uh, we're going to touch on a lot of that, but um, before we do, uh, with the fullness of this question, how are you? How am I? I'm good, man. I'm very fortunate. You know, you know, this pandemic has created a lot of issues for folks in terms of employment and health and mental health and all of those things. And I think for me, I've been fortunate to be able to still be working since this whole thing hit and, um, and actually impact lives as well. So I'm, I'm very much blessed to be where I am right now. And I know that, you know, and I appreciate that. And, um, I'm, I'm good. I can't, I can't complain right now. I'm good. Yeah. I think there's always this acknowledgement of, um, there is, there are other people who are, um, going through it in ways that we are not. And there's gratitude to be had for that. Um, and gratitude for health and mental health to the extent that we have it. Right. Right. Um, and it's still a tough time. Um, Mm. especially, um, you know, with the identities you embody as an immigrant, as a, as a black man, as someone who is, um, trying to do this work that, you know, so many people, um, are seemingly against. Mm. Man, tell me about it. Tell me about it. I'm hearing, I think the vice president said something about restorative justice and like, it doesn't work. And this is not the way we, we should be doing things. I don't know. Did you hear about that? Yeah, or I, I think it was at the uh, Republican, Na- Republican National Convention. They were talking about a uh, school yeah. shooting and how the person who had uh, done the shooting had gone through a restorative justice process. And they say, like, you see, this doesn't work. And for All me right. and a couple other practitioners in the community are just like, one, <laughs> let's talk about how that school is actually doing restorative justice. Right. Um, and two, like, you're probably not you probably, the person who's talking probably doesn't know uh, what restorative mm. justice is. Uh, we're here, and so we normally get to this at the end, but uh, in your yeah. words, what does restorative justice mean to you? What it means to me is, and, and I'm just speaking in reference to the work that I've done so far, um, is being able to create a safe space for anyone to... Um, build trust with folks, build relationships with folks, and just kind of recreate that whole concept of village and just be able to just, you know, talk about, you know, things that, that you know, come across your mind. It could be past experiences, trauma, and I think it's vital and important for us as human beings because it's an indigenous practice and it brings back that concept of village and community where, you know, when we, you know, in civilization, that's how we conducted ourselves. Like we, we came together as a community or as a village and we discussed, you know, certain issues or things that we wanted, decisions we wanted to make or even conflict. That's how we resolve conflict. And um, it, it just really kind of gave us, you know, an easier way to kind of just like really work with each other. So I feel like coming back to this, back to the essence of who we are as human beings and being able to communicate in that way, mm-hmm. I think is huge for us to um, to really get back to this. So that's that's where I'm I'm thinking. Yeah. In terms of restorative justice. 
I don't remember who said it and I'm going to butcher the quote, but there's something mm-hmm. about like learning this work is rekindling a truth that we already had like deep inside of us. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, to your point, you know, uh, people across the world, um, have had this idea of interconnection, right. Taking care mm-hmm. of each other, seeing each other as human in like the world has gotten a lot more complicated. Um, and right. some of those things were done intentionally to separate us from those things. But, uh, doing this work is to remember, um, the, our ancestral ways of being. I'm curious mm-hmm. from your perspective, you've been doing the work longer than you knew the word restorative justice. So how did right. that start for you? Man. Oh man. Um, I remember, um, coming out of college, um, cause I, I got my degree in sociology mm-hmm. and, um, I was doing like an internship at this, um, this program called the Al Moody program. This was in New Jersey. And um, it was for, for young people that were like formerly incarcerated or on probation or, you know, going through the system. And, um, you know, we brought the youth up to the, to the college, do college tours with them, talk about like what they need, you know, inspiring them. You know, even some of them said like, man, I want to go to college now. Like just that it started from that aspect. And then like I shifted into like group homes and juvenile mm-hmm. detention centers, which is crazy, right? My first job out of college was a group home for teenage mothers. That was my first job, right? And just seeing young people from 14, 15, 16, 17 years old as mothers at that age, and we help them kind of like get jobs or like go to school and we do daycare for them or whatever. Um, I think that was like my first kind of initial like space where I had to really dive in and you know give advice or even like conflict you know be like a mediator mm-hmm. in certain situations because the girls might get into it with each other and and just really sit down and i didn't even know that was restorative justice you know just be able to mediate situations or talk to people and try to um calm them down or, or try to hear from somebody else's perspective versus this person's perspective and get them to kind of understand each other's views and resolve it in a, in a good way. So I was doing this before I even started doing restorative justice work. You know, um, I worked at um, Children's Village, that's in Dobbs Ferry, New York, outside of Yonkers. Um, worked in the Abbott House, that was in um, that was in the Bronx when I when I lived in the Bronx. Like, um, there's just just so many different um, locations and spaces where I worked where I had to engage with young people and it taught me early to listen, you know, because these are young people with like, you know, trauma and a lot of internalized like issues to where you can't just address them. You're always, cause I grew up in a Jamaican household, you know, mm-hmm. so like everything was strict and like, you know, you had to, you know, kind of be, respectful to whatever the parents, even if the parent was rude or wrong, you still had to respect it, right? And I tried to come with that same cultural approach to the young people of this generation. And it didn't work at all Mm because they weren't listening. And I realized like, man, I got to really be patient. You know, I got to really listen. I got to really understand what's happening with this younger generation and how how can I meet them where they're at? You know, because they constantly have been in spaces with adults that usually alienate them or or like, you know, quiet 
their voice, don't allow them to speak, don't give them a chance to kind of express themselves. And I learned that early, you know, working with young people in the group homes and juvenile detention centers, you know, because I, I had young people, <laughs> you know, then tried to, you know, attack me or like, you know, make a shank out of a CD case, you know, throw my shoes in the toilet. <laughs> You know, all of these other things. And a beautiful thing out of that, even when that happened, the next day I would show them love. The very next day I would show them love. And I remember a kid that, you know, did that to me. Like, you know, threw my shoes in the toilet, pissed on him, did all types of crazy stuff. And the next day I literally took him and bought him something to eat. You know, and he was like, yo, why are you being nice to me? Like, I just did all this to you. He was like, I just want to show you something different. You know, I don't want you to see like another adult that's just going to just write you off. You know, like I know that what you're doing is not me. I'm not the cause or not, I'm like, I'm not the reason why you're acting out like this. I know it's something deeper than that, you know, and I, I don't I can't I can't really say like how I developed that. It kind of just like inherently like came out of nowhere where I was just like, OK, let me think and look beyond the surface of these well, young people, you know? Yeah, for sure. I, I wanted to reflect on something you were saying about, you know, growing up in a strict Jamaican household, right? We yeah. talk about the concept of, you know, the African village where mm. uh, people take care of each other. Uh, mm. Everyone is your parent, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. All the adults right. are your parent. Um, right. And there is a sense of respect but also because like, you know, people have your best interests at heart. I think when we talk about um, Jamaica um, and other places that were colonized, mm -hmm. right? Yes. Uh, you talk yes. about your family being um, like one from Jamaica, which was colonized and then your family moving into the UK. Um, yeah. Black people, um, oftentimes black parents are doing, are, are uh, parenting in a way that is preparing their children to deal with the world that, um, mm -hmm is just going to make these demands of them right um a white world that is just making the yeah. demands of like this is the way that it is you have to respect Absolutely. it um and it's not because they don't love them right like we're going to be what could seem demanding or rude or harsh or disrespectful because we yeah. just want we want you to be prepared for what's coming in the world right right and and that's true on one end on another end sometimes it is harmful Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes it is abusive, you know, and it, like just like you said about it, like colonizing, you know, a lot of our like ways of raising and I'm speaking for like, you know, my elders or my ancestors, like raising children was taught to us by like slave masters, you know, mm -hmm. like, I, I don't know. Can I cuss on here? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Ass whoopings, you know what I'm saying? Or beatings came from slavery. You know what I'm Ass saying? Ass isn't a cuss word. I mean, I'm trying to be, I don't know if kids is watching this or whatever, but, um, you know, like back then, you know, you got beat for like the smallest thing, you know, and a lot of that derivative from slavery, you know, taught like, I got to break you or instill fear in you in order to control you, you know, mm -hmm. versus trying to teach you or be more restorative rather than being punitive. You know what I'm saying? And, right. and I learned that. And myself, because culturally, that's how I was raised. And I had to change my thinking process when I was working in this field of like working with youth that have been traumatized or, or system engaged. I can't approach them that way because I'm going to lose every time. 
mm-hmm. you know, because most of these kids that's that's from the generation that I, I was like really working with, they don't care, you know, <laughs> they don't care, you know, they're not afraid to say no to adult. They're not afraid to cuss an adult out. I mean, I don't know if you remember because I don't know how old you are. I'm um, thirty. So you you pretty much in my bracket. Like we we were in that time frame where you feared your parents or you feared adults of being disrespectful mm-hmm. to adults. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like you you had like a certain level of respect. For this gen, it's a little bit different. For I don't know if it's a level of respect, but it's like you're not gonna just talk to me any type of way. You're not gonna yell at me. You're not gonna tell me what to do. Like these kids are so like I call them the Nat Turner generation. Like they they're not mm. afraid of anything. They're fearless, you know. And um, I I just realized like I can't approach them the same the old ways that my parents or my grandparents approached me. You know what I'm saying? I had to really change my thought process on that, and I, and it actually made me more successful. And I built some very long lasting relationships with kids that I've worked with over the years because of that. You know, and I watch, and it's crazy because I can watch. Um, I worked at Frick Middle School in East Oakland, and um, I would watch how a teacher would engage a young person, and I would just like um, automatically know how it was gonna out, like the outcome was gonna be based on how the teacher or the adult approached that young person. You know right. what I'm saying? If you listened, if you try to, you know, you know, understand the young person, or if you just try to be authoritative, like out the gate, mm-hmm. and pretty much lose them from there, you know? And ultimately the kid is the one that suffers because the person that has the power or the power dynamic, they kind of, you know, dictate the outcome of that conversation or whatever happens with that young person, you know? Yeah, for sure. There's, there's a lot in there. It's not that um, adults don't deserve respect and it's not that kids Mm -hmm. don't deserve respect, but like before we're adult, before we're teacher, before we're a student before we're child like we're mm-hmm. human right mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so like are you acknowledging me on that level um and i think right. it's on adults to model that um right. because uh kids students are growing up in right. in a world that um often isn't teaching them that but i also think like to your point about you know parents um black parents being taught how to parent by slave masters right um mm-hmm. adults in this world have been taught to treat children um, in a way that's controlling, right? Mm. And so I'm curious what it was for you. Maybe it was just like the experience that you had where like this isn't working, but like yeah. somebody needs to like have that re- re-education experience or remembering that like, you know, humans first, respect, relationship, um, right. and then I can make a request based out of my right. need instead of do this because right. I'm the adult in the room. I told you to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Man, um, I don't know. Like, I, I, I really, honestly, like, to be completely honest with you, like, this work isn't for everybody. <laughs> say uh, let, say let me more. Just, let me just say that. Like, for you to, like, really be in charge or, like, be responsible for other people's lives, like you have to really, you know, be, you know, understanding, be patient, um, be fair, you know, also be firm at times, but really have like a, a balance. It's it's a it's a skill to have that kind of balance to to know how to approach every situation, 
especially with young people, you know, and, and I see um, a lot of professionals and a lot of adults that like, you know, make many bad decisions or, or, or a lot of mistakes because they might come with their own personal like agenda or their own personal views or belief system mm-hmm. that doesn't match up culturally with the folks that they're serving. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you come from a, a, a culture where you tell, like, you're supposed to look somebody in the eye mm-hmm. when I'm talking to you out of respect versus someone else or a young person that you approach and they're taught that you're not supposed to look somebody in the eye when you talk to, or an adult in the eye when you look to them because it's seen as disrespect. That's a culture clash. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And if you come in with that concept of your belief system of this is the way it's supposed to be and not rather like trying to understand and learn, you know what I'm saying? It, it creates this culture clash and um, it, it just makes it hard for everyone else. You know what I'm saying? And I think sometimes like some people just don't understand that, you know, just really approaching this work. You know, and that's yeah. why I say it's not that's why I say it's not for everyone, because it, you have to be a special type of individual to really do this. You know, this is this is not something you could just anybody can just apply and just like, you know, one size fits all type thing. Like it takes a special type of human being to be able to be responsible for other human beings. I, yeah. A, a couple questions. One. Like I, I come from the perspective of like, you know, restorative justice work, if we're going to yeah. use that term. I think that that term is is reductive in some ways. Uh-huh. It's not fully talking about what we're talking about. But uh-huh. for the purposes of this, like restorative justice work is for everyone um, because we, mm-hmm. we all need it. When you say yeah. this work, what do you mean by that? I mean, as an educator, oh, okay. <laughs> as a, um, a, say, just somebody that does youth work. Mm-hmm. Um, restorative justice is for everybody, okay. but it's not meant to be, um, I don't think, I don't think everybody can lead it. You know what I'm saying? In a way. Right. Okay. Because of just their cultural views or like they, they would have to be broken or have to be like, um, just like, um, taught in another way to to actually understand what the work is yeah. you know i think and, one um, of the things that white supremacy culture teaches us is that there is like one right way of doing things or i like to say right. one white way of doing things right, right. And it's not just uh white people who can uphold that um it is oh, yeah. people of color who can do it um oh yeah but you know we have to be able to look at um multiple perspectives and accept that like our what we know to be true is not capital T true. Yeah. You know, like yeah. there, there are like some truths about living on earth. Like if I drop an apple, it will fall at 9.8 mm. meters per second. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, squared. I mm-hmm. physics was a long time ago, but right. you know, to the, to your point about like eye contact and like, what does respect mean? Different people have different versions of what that means. What does it look like to give and receive respect Um, in things as simple as eye contact? It could even be like as simple as like, hey, come into the classroom quietly, right? For you as a teacher, that might mean like everybody be silent. For me as a student, that might be like, oh, I'm just going to whisper to my friend. 
and like right. I'm, I'm I'm following your rules, right? And so right. like doing this work allows us to, you know, have that conversation about, you know, our different mm-hmm. perspectives. See and mm-hmm. like to your point about what you were talking about in the group home, like get the other person's story and see how we yeah. can move forward together in a good way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, man. I, I totally agree with that. You know, I forgot my train of thought. I was just about to say something. <laughs> I completely forgot my train of thought. But, um, but yeah, just, just really to understand and be, and to be patient and, and to, approach this this work you know as a practitioner or as an educator or as an administrator or even as like a policy or district person you know that make these big decisions to understand like the importance of listening you know and Mm -hmm. and not coming in with your own agenda and trying to force you know your own belief systems onto folks you know and um and even with me, I'm, I'm, I'm not perfect, you know, and, and at the same time, there's, there's definitely times where, you know, a young person will actually call me out or check me, you know, and I'm just mm-hmm. like, you know what, you're absolutely right, man, my fault, you know, my bad, you know, and, and I really love that, you know, I love when young people advocate for themselves, and I try to encourage young people to advocate for themselves all the time, you know, and um, I think that's huge for everyone to have a voice. That's so important to me. That's like a high priority for me. Everybody should have their own voice. Sure. Absolutely. We talked about how you were doing uh, work that was related to this um, in group homes and in foster care um, yeah. and with youth who had uh, been involved in the criminal legal system in New York. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. not where you are, even though you're rocking a Yankees hat right now. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're in Oakland. Yeah. Uh, uh, how did you make that transition? Um. So... Like I said, with the group homes and the juvenile detention centers, it was kind of like a glass ceiling, you know? There was no room for, like, you know, for me to move up because the people that was in these positions of, like, directors and supervisors been there for, like, 30 years. Mm-hmm. And they weren't going nowhere, you know? So I, And it was crazy. It was a Jamaican brother that, that said to me, like, don't, you know, stay here. You know, you're going to put your head down, and then 10 years later you're going to look up and you're going to be stuck in the same position, you know? And that mm-hmm. really struck me. And um, that's when I decided, yeah, I need something else. I need something different, you know? And it was fortunate that I had a friend that I met that was from California in New York, and they encouraged me to come check it out, you know? And I came out here. Um, I came out here twice. So I came out here in 2009, in de- December of 2009, and um, I stayed here for about a year and a half, and I was working... Um, at a middle, another middle school, and I was teaching a, um, well, actually, I was a, um, doing this rights to passage, kind of like young men's group, mm-hmm. and um, just working with young, young black and brown boys, and, um, you know, just really just being, kind of just using my, my experience and my expertise in working with young, young men to um, engage with them and encourage them and you know, help them with their schoolwork and just make good decisions for themselves. So that lasted for about a year and a half. I left and went back to New York for about a year, some change. And then I came back in 2012, right? And that's my, that was my first initial, like, 
interaction with restore. I didn't know what restorative justice was. I did mm-hmm. not know. I just knew there was a term and, you know, and they hired me because I do that, that um, interview. His name was David Usum. Um, he interviewed me. You know, he asked me a ton of questions and he just loved, you know, what I represented, you know, even though he knew I didn't like know anything about restorative justice, he just felt like, yeah, you the type of person I want, you mm-hmm. know, and they trained, we trained, we got trained over the summer and then we um pretty Who much were your just, teachers. Um, him, uh, I'm going to say, um, who else? Who else was on that team? Kamoya Johnson, uh, Yari's. I can't remember Yari's last name. Um, there's maybe three or four folks that were in OUS, Oakland Unified School District, that trained me. On top of like going to different like trainings with like Fanya Davis and you know all these other folks from R Joy. Like I knew all of those folks, right? And um, my first year doing it, I was split between two schools. I was the restorative justice coordinator for two schools at one time. Mm-hmm. And I was like 16 hours here, 12 hours here. Like it was crazy, right? And um, one of the schools was like in a privileged, privileged area, um, but it was a bad school. It was terrible because the year before they had five principals in one year. Oh wow. It was it was like you ever seen Lean on Me? <laughs> <laughs> like that type of, you know, this craziness, right? And then the other school wasn't so privileged, which was Frick Middle School in East Oakland. And um they didn't have as many resources as the other school, but you know, I just loved the environment because it was very family oriented. It was like one of the blackest schools in Oakland. You know, mm-hmm. and it was very family oriented and I loved the environment there. And um, even though I did love the folk, because I worked with the twin, I don't know if you heard ever heard of these twin principals, the Richardson brothers that mm-hmm. um, that started in Oakland. And um, they just pretty much turned the whole school around, you know, in one year. And I was on the team with them and it was beautiful. It was beautiful to see. And um, ultimately I had to make a decision between the school that was privileged and a school that wasn't so privileged. And I decided to go to the school that wasn't so privileged because the twins were at the privileged school and I knew they was going to take good care of it. Right. And I went to Frick middle school and I was there for about six, seven years, you know, doing, being the restorative justice coordinator there. What did that um, involve? Um, I would do a lot of community building circles, um, going into the classrooms, building relationships with the teachers and with the staff and the admin that was there at the time, and also to resolve conflicts, right? Um, So OUSD actually had a lawsuit, right? And um, there was a lawsuit put against them by the NAACP for the school of prison pipeline because it was too many black boys being expelled and suspended and ending up in juvenile hall in Oakland, Mm -hmm. like too many. So restorative justice was one of those things that was implemented to stop that school of prison pipeline. Right. So when I got to the school, I was 
place there to bring down the suspensions and, you know, the expulsions, right? And the principal really loved me because, you know, if there was a fight, you know, or if there was an argument or an issue if, or somebody was being bullied, he would call on me to resolve the conflict, you know, rather than suspending the kid or just sending the kid home, he would send them to me, right? Right. And it kind of built a culture where kids would actually know, like, if I'm about to fight somebody or if I'm about to get into it with somebody, I'm going to just hit Mr. Ro- I'm going to come to Mr. Roberts. They're going to come to me. Mm-hmm. And they're just going to say, yo, like, I'm having issues with this young person or this kid. Like, I'm about to fight this kid, Mr. Roberts. You better get him. You know, and, <laughs> and it, it turned into, like, me being the go-to person for any situation or every, any conflict on, on campus. You know, and I, I had a real great relationship with all the kids there. And pretty much majority of the staff and the teachers there, and um, it was it was a dope experience. It was a dope experience. Yeah, sure. I know anyone who has listened to this podcast will know, will probably know what I'm about to say is like you know a lot of the times restorative justice is just painted as this thing that we do after harm has happened to resolve it. But what you talked about was so much about building those relationships proactively, right? Being in the classrooms with the teachers and the students. So, you know, teachers were going to have an easier time navigating uh, the relationships with their students. Even the relationships that you're building with the students, they know to come to you for support, right? Restorative justice isn't just about like repairing the harm. It's about like proactively meeting people's needs um, and... I mean, I'm right. going to say that over and over and over and over because uh, people need to hear it. Yeah. And I was fortunate because, you know, I played basketball. So I was, you know, playing with the kids on the playground, you mm-hmm. know, and, you know, playing, we'll have like the staff versus students games. And, you know, I, I just really built, you know, like a reputation, you know, because not just because of my basketball skills, but just. <laughs> You know, like just having that kind of connection to the young people, like, oh, Mr. Roberts, he's nice in ball, you know. But at the same time, like, it was just, you know, a beautiful transition because the youth would always, and on top of that, I coached basketball there. And that was like a great way for me to engage with young people outside of the classroom. Right. You know, so it helped a lot. It definitely helped a lot. And it's not just like, I think some people might listen to this and be like, well, but I don't coach basketball. I can't connect with them in that way. Like, it's not about, of course, you're not going to connect with them the way that Ruben connects with them. You're not Ruben, but what is the way that uh, you can uniquely uh, connect? And sometimes it's going to take a little bit of um, like listening and learning, especially if you don't come from uh, the same culture or background. And it's crazy. It's crazy that you say that, right? Because, I built that rapport with the boys, like had, you know, really strong relationships with them. But also, like I had strong relationships with the girls, you know, and they they pretty much came to me and said, you know, you do everything for the boys. You, you know, you have all they have all these resources, but we don't have any. Like it was true, though. None of the girls didn't have no programs. There was no like you know, sisterhood thing, none of that. Right. Mm -hmm. And I I was just like, damn, like, I feel like this is falling on my hands. Like, what am I going to do about this? Right. So for five years straight, 
I would hold this um, young women's empowerment conference. You know, as a man, like it's crazy, right? For me to be like holding this. And um, it was dope because, you know, I had a group, because actually I had, um, each year I would have a group of youth that I trained to do restorative justice. Mm-hmm. So they would actually help me resolve conflicts and hold space. Right. And I also would use them to to um to host events or whatnot. So we we did a, a women's empowerment conference. Um and the first one, or all of them pretty much, like we would do workshops, right? So like it would last maybe four or five hours throughout the day, but every hour you would switch to a different workshop, right? right and it right. would be like self-love, self-worth, um, you know just about like your image as a young woman, um, cleansing yourself and hygiene and, you know, all of those things, like all of these different, but I would like people, and then based on the work that I did, like I knew a lot of people in the community. So I would call on like this sister knows how to do this. So I would have her hold a whole, a host a workshop for that. This sister knows how to do that. So I would have like different women that would host these different workshops right just like encourage and be and you know some of them were beautiful so they were like hella just easy to just like connect with the young people you know and um and ultimately like it just kept going on and on and it was funny because when i was in new york i ran into this sister that was um an actress right she did some movie with um monique called fat girls and she was on um love thy neighbor this other tyler perry tv show and um i asked i said yo like i'm moving to cali so like when I go out there, like, I'm going to need you to come through and talk to the kids. You know what I'm saying? Right. And, and you know how some people hit you with the Hollywood, like, yeah, I got you. And, they, and you never see them again. Uh-huh. But she she actually came through. Like, she really came through, man. And she did it for, like, four or five years straight when she came in. And, they, and the kids were just so blown away. They're like, wow, like, this is, like, somebody that's on TV that's, right, like, in right. Oakland, you know, talking to young girls. And I had other folks, too, Fanya. Um, um, Jennifer Madden, she was a judge in Oakland, um, sisters that were like in law enforcement, um, that's done work in the community and nonprofit organization, like just really great women that I, I could call on to kind of just lead it. But like, just like you said about like me playing basketball and that being my way to kind of connect with the boys, like my relationship with the girls was really just like, just us like meeting just personality wise, you know what I'm saying? It had nothing to do with sports or anything, but just personality wise. And then using that to kind of find things that they were interested in. Like they wanted to do fashion design or mm-hmm. like, you know, I created like that event. Like we did a fashion show in that event too. Right. Cause one of the workshops was like, you had to, you had to make a, a we did a trash bag fashion show. So you had to design a dress out of a trash bag. Oh, it was crazy. <laughs> it was crazy, but it was fire. Like they were so like, creative like one girl she blew air into two um garbage bags and turned them into wings and put mm-hmm. them on the back <laughs> like yo like it, it was just like really really fun and just like you know engaging to see young people and young girls just like just use their ingenuity you know to create their own happiness or whatnot but i, I was just happy to just create that space for them and kind of just stand back and be the behind the scenes person just like you know, throwing it all together. So, right. So it's not like, it's not that it's like all centered around you because you can never be everything to everybody. No. Right. But it's like, how know. can the community, um, 
support, right? How can you bring in people who can do that work? Because, you know, right. like you're, you're probably not the best person to like run no. any of those workshops, right? No. But you have all these amazing uh, women and other people in the community who Man. can help meet that need. Really? Like I, like we, we would buy like gift bags for the girls or whatnot. I don't know about makeup and all that stuff. <laughs> so I would like call my coworker. I'm like, yo, like what should we get? Could you help me or could you buy this? <laughs> like I'll give you the money. Just go ahead and go get it. You know? Cause I, I don't know like what girls need or what they want, but at the same time, I just want to be supportive. You know, I just want to be there to help them out. So, yeah. Yeah. In that time, you said you were doing that for like seven years. I worked at I worked in OUSD for about six, seven years, and um, I was doing that that women's empower the young women's empower conference for about five years in a row or four or five years in a row. Yeah, yeah. Um, what were some of the challenges that you faced during all that time? During all that time, um, I think adults more than anything. Um, folks that felt, um, that I was too easy on the kids. I should be more harsh. I should be more punitive. And this is coming from, you know, like educators that know that I'm the restorative justice person, you know, um, switching like administration because we, we switched to like new principles and just the way they engaged the young people I didn't agree with. So we would always bump heads on that. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that was always a challenge for me. It, it would never would be the fun part is always the kids, you know, the, the thing that I look forward to. And even, you know, when kids would give you a hard time, like I never really, it never really pulled me out of character or made me feel like, man, I can't do this shit. Like this is just too much for me. But um it just always would be adults that would kind of make it difficult or create, you know, some challenges or whatnot. Yeah. Part, uh, a big part of that, a big part of doing this work is uh, helping adults remember this way of being. Uh, what are some of the mm-hmm. ways you did that? Um, I would love when I, like, let's say I did a community building circle. Mm-hmm. I always made sure like the teacher would have to participate, right? And would have to, you know, engage in like, you know, being vulnerable or talking about their per because I would want the young people to see their teacher as a human being and not just this authority figure. Right. Like, this person was once a kid before. You know what I'm saying? Let them share, you know, some of their experiences and and, and realizing like, wow, like I mean, I'm just like you. You know what I'm saying? And on top of that, you know, having games, um, creating events where, where teachers would participate if it was like a dance contest or a talent show, you know, and, you know, just really kind of break down, break down those barriers of that hierarchy or like that, you know, that level of this is the person on top or what I like. I always would try to break that barrier, you know, just to, just for folks to see like the humanity you know, and for young people too, you know, cause sometimes they look at adults and they like look at us as robots, you know, and mm-hmm. with no feelings and no emotions. And, um, just to really get young people to see like, you know, this teacher isn't such a bad person. They might have, you know, these strong, 
you know, authoritative ways of thinking or whatever, because they want what's best for you. And they think that this is what's best for you. But at the same time, just understanding who they are as human beings and trying to be patient with them, you know? Yeah. Can you think about a specific time where that like was really successful with an adult? Um, I remember this one teacher, I'm not going to say his name. Sure. Sure. But, um, (laughs) the one teacher was so controlling, like he had to be in control of his classroom. He had to, you know, you know, the way, the wherever you sat, like there was a seating chart, um, the grades, like everything was just so like, you know, confined. Mm -hmm. Right. And um, I had to really get him to see how harmful it was for him to even, you know, be so like aggressive at times or be yelling or, you know, talk down or belittling young people in front of their peers. And um, I can remember doing a harm circle with him and three other young African-American boys and he's a white male and for him to just listen to, cause I really wanted him to listen and yeah. understand like where they were coming from or what their perspective was, you know, and understanding like the impact that's going to have on you, you know, if you, you know, try to approach this a little bit differently, you know, and just to, and just to empathize with a young person, let's say a young person is coming from a broken home, that, you know, has been traumatized, that has been abused, that's been, you know, exploited in many ways. And you as an adult coming in and they, and you remind them of a parent or, or an adult figure that abused them in that way. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And, th- and then for him to have that aha moment, like, oh, wow. Like, wow, I just realized I'm doing this because that's how I was raised. And he actually, like, you know, kind of opened up too, and kind of said like, my father was like this. And like, you know, I had to, you know, be raised this way. So it kind of broke down those barriers, you know what I'm saying? Of just like understanding, you know, we don't have, we can actually come to a compromise. We can come to an agreement of how we want to conduct ourselves in a classroom, you know, versus me just being an authoritarian and saying, this is how it's going to go. I don't care what you think. I don't care how you feel. You can't go to the bathroom. None of that. Like, that's real, you know, that's strict. And that would cause, you know, young people to, you know, either cuss him out or want to fight him or, <laughs> you know, want to want to do evil things to him, you know? And um, I'm telling them, you know, you're because you're not from Oakland, you know, you weren't raised in this environment or in this culture, you know, you're going to rub people the wrong way, you know, and especially young black kids from Oakland, they they just don't take no mess. So (laughs) you gotta, you gotta understand, you know, how, how this can be impactful. So, um, yeah, that's, that's just an example, a small example of, of a, a time when, um, I really had to kind of like drive that message home to the adult to understand, you know, cause I, I definitely spoke to the young people about it and they're just like, man, he just don't get it. He don't listen. He ain't going to listen to us. 
you know, and I had to really kind of encourage them to like give him a chance, you know, to let me talk to him, let me get him in the space. Let's try to see if he'll listen. You know, initially the first thing he did was like, you, 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 like right from the door, you know, from the, in the beginning of the circle. Oh, even in the circle? In the circle, like <laughs> you, 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 like pointing the finger. And I had to hit, I, I, I had to break him down. I said, hold on. I said, you got to really start looking at yourself, you know, and I really got at him kind of, I ain't gonna lie, I got at him. <laughs> I had him kind of foul, but at the same time, it was just really just for him to understand, you know, um, you got to really be mindful of how you approach young people, especially when you're working with young black and brown children that come from traumatized areas, especially when you come from privilege, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? And if you're going to be a teacher, you can't teach these kids the same way you think you could teach all the other kids that's privileged to come from whatever, you know what I'm saying? And even them, they can't, you can't teach none of these kids the same way. So just like getting him to understand that and see from that perspective, I think it made him a better teacher. For sure. I think there's a lot that to take out of that beyond just, you know, teachers from different cultures um, with um, students, right? I think it's when you are coming into a place where you have power and privilege and you're trying to work with a group that does not experience the same uh, intersection of their identity as you and you're trying to do things right. one particular way. Um, right. That's not it. I'm really curious right. about what you said to him in order to even get him to come to the circle. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I don't know, because it, it felt like he really, for some reason, he really trusted me, you know, mm -hmm. and he really um, appreciated my honesty. And um, and honestly, I would encourage him, too. Like, I would be like, man, you, you're a dope teacher. You know, you care about these kids. Like, you really want to see them do great, you know. But I, I think there's definitely some room for some improvement. So I would really, like, encourage him. And um, and also be supportive. You know, sometimes I will have to come in the classroom and I know kids are acting up or just wanting to be, they just want to be assholes to him. And I'm just like, yo, come on, bro. Like, oh, you're just doing this because he white. <laughs> you know, you just, you're just trying to be, you know, like I, I would definitely like try to defend him and be supportive, but on the same end, hold him accountable too. You know, so it's not just like a one-sided thing. So, um... Yeah, I think that's that's what kind of brought him to the space, just knowing that like he had someone that was gonna be supportive, but hold him accountable as well. And not be, you know, like one sided like F you, like you're terrible. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But actually and people know that about me. They know I'm not like a bias, you know, and I can't be, you know, especially as a an RJ facilitator, like there's no way I'm, I'm gonna be biased or take one person's side. Like I'm, ha I'm gonna really try to understand it and try to get other people to see other other people's perspective. You know, you know. Well, I mean, I think like you were biased towards the children, right? I mean, like you did your best to like, you know, help people see both sides. But like, yeah, in, yeah, like you were biased towards the students. I mean, and that, I yeah, mean, yeah. I mean, when it all comes down to it, yes. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want, I want them to be respected i want them to be loved i wanted them that's my priority they are my highest priority but at the same time 
a part of that is them to be to teach them to be better human beings right it, it doesn't the mean like the they're not causing harm as well right oh man but oh, this man. idea of um like neutral unbiased objectivity like that doesn't exist you're yeah. you're the uh you, you embody all the identities that you embody and so that's gonna yeah. like make you want to you know fight for the the right to yeah. respect for for yeah. these these kids yeah and one thing i would always say to young people like I'll go to bat for you if 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 something isn't right. If you you if I if I see something where you're really like being, you know, um, abused or like treated unfairly, I'm gonna go to bat for you. Mm-hmm. But also understand when you do wrong, I'm gonna hold you accountable too. You know right. what I'm saying? So understand that. Like, don't think you're just gonna go in this and and I'm gonna just be like, oh, you shouldn't have did this and did that. I'm going to turn it around and, and be like, hold up. What did you do wrong? Right. You know? Yeah. This idea of restorative justice being like super permissive, that's not what this is. And when you're sharing right. that, uh, what does that process look like of right. um, really holding someone accountable? Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I just want to teach that to young people, you know, like, obviously I want you to have a voice and I want you to be able to speak your truth and be safe in these environments and in these spaces. But I also want you to learn, you know, responsibility, accountability, you know, and, and, and also understand like a part of your growth and a part of your experience experience is making mistakes. It's okay. If you mess up, it's okay. If you do something wrong, the next step is what do you do to fix that? You know, Mm -hmm. or what do you learn from that? You know what I'm saying? Like you're going to keep making the same mistake or are you going to learn from that process? And all, and that's the teaching moment in itself. Like, don't feel bad that you messed up. Okay. You may, it's not the end of the world. It's not, you know, let's, let's figure this out and, you know, let's work through this process together, you know, and, and don't, cause I think for some, for a lot of young people, the fear of being in trouble or the fear of the consequences because they made a mistake or because they did something wrong mm-hmm. makes them do things even worse. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Cause they're worried about the reaction. You know what I'm saying? So if I do something wrong, I'm a lie because I don't want to get caught or I don't want to get even more. So I'm a lie my behind off. Right. You know what I'm saying? Versus like if, if a young person could come to me and say, man, yo, I, I did this show. Oh, I, I messed up and I did that. And I'm like, man, I'm gonna hold you accountable on that. It's all good. Like I, you know, like I definitely I'm gonna hold you accountable on this, but I want you to understand, like, you can always come to me. You know, I don't want you to feel afraid to like come to me and tell me something. You know, it's just like being a parent. Like you wanna you don't wanna to become that. that Yeah, be that parent. Bring it back this, to like this, the idea of the village, the adults yeah. are your parents, like we're here to take care of you. Um please trust us, but like they right. are given so many reasons not to trust adults. <laughs> right, man. And, and that, and that's the hardest thing is if, if a kid, if a kid can't come to you with like, you know, something like a deep, like who's, let's say for instance, like a kid, you know, has sex for the first time or, um, experienced doing drugs or drinking or whatever, mm-hmm. and they can't talk to you about it. You know, because they're they're afraid of you, how you're going to react or respond to them. You know what I'm saying? 
And now they go in, you know, with their own thought process and they continue to make the same mistakes, you know what I'm saying? Or, or bad decisions because they don't have nobody to kind of counsel them or kind of, you know, give them a different perspective from experience. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's super important for us to just be there and be be supportive, you know, and for young people to feel feel like I can trust this adult that they're gonna, you know, they're gonna they're gonna keep me safe. They're gonna, you know, still be respectful to me. They're gonna, you know, make me feel um, not like judged or like you know looked down upon or like try to tear me into pieces but um kind of understand where i'm coming from right. you know definitely so. i <laughs> i didn't think we were going to go here but what does that mean for um you know this today is november 5 uh we still don't know the results of the election but it's pretty clear that about um half of the people who voted in the united states um don't agree well i'll just say don't agree with each other on some very basic things um how does restorative justice impact the way that we move forward with the world the way that it is well that the way that it is man i think you said it earlier you know what you do before you even have the circle you know is to really try to understand you know and um and try to get people to see like the humanic side of like this harm or this this pain of oppression that's been perpetuated for for centuries you know and um some people have been able to come to the light i've seen that you know some i see more folks kind of like you know being aware of what's going on in this country but um, as far as restorative justice is concerned, you know, it's, it's just one at a time, one mind, one soul, one body at a time, you know, and, and it's, and it's, it's, it's an uphill battle, you know, cause we've, we've been doing this for a good amount of time now. And, you know, it's not, it's nothing, it's not, it's never going to, restorative justice isn't like an easy thing. You know, you can't just throw it in there and say, okay, we're good now. Like, it's, it's going to take some time and a lot of effort, you know, and a lot of willingness to want to participate. Right. I was going to say, inherent to the restorative justice process is like an acknowledgement of harm, right? Um, yeah. And, right, real willingness to participate. And, um, mm -hmm. I think we're farther away from that with some folks than others, yeah. but you know, because it's, it's about building relationships um, to the extent that we can. Cause like, I don't, I also don't want to be the, um, the person who says to those students continue to give this teacher a chance when they constantly show you differently. Right. Mm, right. That's true. You know, I, I just, I like what you said with like the acknowledgement of harm. Um, and I think that's hard, you know, and I, I'm just speaking in reference to like white folks um, in terms of racism in this country, you know, and, you know, being viewed as the beneficiaries of racism, you know, and feeling like I'm, I, that wasn't me. I wasn't a part of that, 
you know, or, you know, I didn't put you into slavery, but you benefited from it. You know what I'm saying? And you still, you still do, do to this day, yeah. you know, and the system and this system continues to per- perpetuate that harm just based on what we see with, you know, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and all these other folks, like this understanding. All we just want you to do is to understand and see, you know what I'm saying? And um, I think it's just, it's too hard to look in the mirror, you know, for some people. Or it's too hard for them to actually just like look and see like, damn, like this is what we are or this is what we've become or this is what's been happening for so long. And for some people like being clueless, you know, or living in a bubble, you know, or even having like a completely different perception or view on police, on the government, on America, where they think this is the land of the free and everybody has equal opportunity and this, and you should be able to just like pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you know, but what Martin Luther King said, like some of us ain't got no boots to pull, you know what I'm saying? And you got to understand that that's the way that the way this system works, you know, it's not for everybody. It's not, it's not equally for every man and woman. So yeah yeah or other uh yeah definitely everybody yeah um so you're not in oakland usd anymore um no. tell me what you're doing now so i work for our joy um doing nonprofit work with them um i do support schools um i do support um oakland tech high school um doing some work over there with them with the folks over there but um, majority of my time is spent um, hosting healing circles in the community. And I also host trainings and webinars on a monthly basis. So I think that's how I met you, um, holding um, one of my monthly webinars where I have like RJ practitioners, um, educators, administrators, and just all different types of folks that come to my webinar. Uh, from all across the state of California or whatnot. I'm not really sure how you ended up there because I know you're not. No, I'm in California. Uh, I'm in in California. I'm in, I'm outside of Los Angeles. So I was just put on an email list. It was like, hey, come to this thing. I was like, all right. Why did I think you was in Chicago? I'm from, uh, I spent the last five years in Chicago or 2015 to 2019. I was in okay. Chicago, but uh, yeah, okay. been in been back here in Southern California for a, for a minute now. Um, how yeah. did you get involved with? Uh, well, can you tell us a little bit more about our joy and how you got involved? Um, so I previously was at another nonprofit before our joy, and um, you know how city funds work and budgets work. Um, the budget got cut for my program. And I ended up leaving that that organization. Um, and some of the youth that I worked with, they knew that I was leaving, and they was hurt by it because it was a it was a very rough transition too. And um, they they were actually a part of our joy, and they said, "Yo, like we need to hire Ruben. Ruben needs to be on. Needs to be with us, you know." And they knew of me because I've you know Oakland is very small in terms of the restorative justice community. Everybody knows each other. And they knew who I was and they was like, okay, let's talk to him, you know? And they interviewed, like they interviewed me on the spot, you know? And it was like, yo, 
you good, you coming with us. <laughs> so they pulled me in and um, yeah, it was just dope just to come in and like immediately like be, you know, running circles in the community, um, hosting circles in like public libraries and in schools and, um, and then just doing my work you know, focusing on, you know, educators, because I was pretty much like the lead for like the restorative justice in schools or whatnot. And um, it just kind of just grew from there or whatnot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. De- definitely. Um, how can people support you and the work that's going on right there? Um, they can, I mean, if they would, would like to just like be a part of the webinars and just, you know, kind of connect with the community. Cause I've pretty much built like a forum of RJ practitioners across the whole state of California. Mm-hmm. And, um, we kind of use that, that space to kind of just like stay in contact with each other network with each other and support each other. Cause it's different in different parts of California. Like I have folks in Coachella that don't have the same ro- same resources as folks in LA or Oakland or the Bay Area, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, holding space for them, and they can cut, they can reach out to you know other RJ practitioners for resources because we all have like different ideas and like different approaches to the work. So we all kind of just like use our we share our resources, right? Like, oh, this person does this for their circle, or this person um, has this type of platform, or has this type of new way of like applying to restorative justice you know and, mm-hmm. and it's dope it's dope because you're constantly learning from each other it's just like a learning community so that i mean that's that's the way folks can definitely benefit from being in space you know with me and with the folks that i'm, I'm working with now so um yeah how, how do folks get plugged in is it just email you or is it yeah they could website? just email me they can email me um, and I'll, I'll drop that in the show notes for the podcast yeah, definitely. You know, Ruben at rjoy.org, rjoyoakland.org. And um, yeah, that's the best way to find me. I am on all social media platforms too. Um, I have my own, like, personal get up. Um, it's the underscore RJ Circle. It's called the RJ Circle. Gotcha. Uh, I think that's nickname, the email you're using right here. <laughs> yeah, my nickname is RJ, which is funny, right? Oh yeah, there you go. Yeah, so it just made sense, and I was just like, "Damn, like this really is for me," <laughs> you know? Because yeah, most people is, know me as RJ. So. For sure. Is there a moment in your life where it really came th- through for you? Like, oh no, this work really is what I'm supposed to be about. Um, I think recently. Right. I mean, I've been doing it for since 2012 now so about Mm -hmm. eight years so um i think when i transitioned from ousd and then i went to youth radio um and i was a restorative justice program director there they never had restorative justice before and Mm -hmm. i created the program to where we serve youth that were um system engaged um, in a foster care system, juvenile, they were, you know, in juvenile hall or expo- exposed to gang violence, um, sexual exploitation, all of these different things, substance abuse. And um, I think that really kind of woke my game up, you know, because I just like, wow, like, 
I'm really here for this. You know, I'm really doing this work because I, I like I like one group in particular that I had when I was at youth radio. Um, none of them knew each other. They all from all different types of schools from all across the city. And because um, it's in downtown Oakland, so they all came to this space after school. It was at like a, a, a after school program on steroids, to be honest mm. with you. It was ridiculous. It was a beautiful place with just like um as you learn how to do music production graphic design photography videography um learn how to build apps it was a crazy place it was so profound but um mm. just having that that space and um being able to bring young people together and for them to be able to build relationships with each other was just a beautiful thing to witness, right? Because, mm. like, some of them were very timid or shy, you know, self-conscious. And, like, like I give, like, because I, I never take credit for this. Like, young people just, like, have, like, that beautiful energy in them. Like, one, I'm going to say one person in, in particular. Um, she she is just like the type of individual where she wants to hang out with everybody right she doesn't care if you're like the the weird kid that's quiet that sits in the corner by themselves or the most popular loudest kid that everybody is cool with she's hanging out with everybody and you see her hang out with everybody and she makes everybody feel included and just her presence you know, as as a young person to like go out of her way and like purposely encourage other people to talk with others, like within the circle, like it built a trust and it gave everybody permission to be vulnerable in a space, to be, you know, loving and caring for one another, to show up for each other, to laugh, to joke. It was just a beautiful thing to witness, right? And just for me to just sit back, like I orchestrated it, but they made it happen. And um, it just like really gave me like so much love and um, compassion for the work to know like, man, I'm just so happy to be a part, to be a part of this, you know, to be blessed to be in this position, to give young people a space where they can build relationships with strangers, you know? And now, like, most of them are hella cool with each other now, like, friends. And they all go to different schools, you know? And they probably would have never met each other if it wasn't for this program. But, like, man. And to even, as a young person, to just be vulnerable, to be, you know, um to feel safe to be themselves because it's, it's a lot of pressure, you know, and like self-esteem and, you know, um, confidence and, and all of these things is happening as a teenager, you know, going through puberty, like all of these different things are happening to you as a young person. I can remember as myself, cause I was a very shy person at that age, you know, and for them to just like kind of come out of that cocoon or come out of their, their comfort zone, and just like flourish and now they're like outgoing and outspoken and they like i had kids that was like so quiet 
that you you thought they was mute, and then by the end of the program, they're doing spoken word poetry on a stage in front mm-hmm. of hella people. You know what I'm saying? Like that type of magic took place. Like just the the impact of a restorative justice circle broke a kid out of their comfort zone and actually gave them like self-confidence and self-esteem to be who they truly are, to show their identity, to not be afraid to be themselves Mm -hmm. because everybody else in that space gave them permission to be themselves. You know what I'm saying? That, that was so beautiful for me to, 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 to witness that and to experience that and still be like in, in like strong relationships with those kids to this day. Yeah. Well, that really reminds me of, uh, and somebody brought this up to me yesterday, the, the, the term Sabwana, right? Um, we see you, like uh, you are seen. Uh, that's what this process allows us to do. Um, with that being said, I know you do this work uh, with young people in schools and the community. Um, what is one place or situation where you wish people really knew this work? In the justice system, um, in a community, um, and just engagement with like law enforcement. Um, and when I say like, all, when I say though all those three things, because I think it's intertwined, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm thinking about um, a young person that I knew that I worked with at, at one of the middle schools, right? And um, I came across this post on Facebook where this um, this elderly um, Asian lady got robbed in Chinatown um, by a group of girls. And one of the girls was one of the girls that I work with, you know? And, and I'm looking at the comments and people are just like, oh, these vile creatures, they need to be going, they need to be locked up, they need to go to mm-hmm. prison. You know, they're so foul, like these are disgusting human beings, right? And I'm just like, wow, like, I know this girl. You know what I'm saying? And and for me, I know she's not that, you know? But I also know her trauma. You know, mm-hmm. I know the environment that she's growing up in. I know the type of family that she's being raised by, you know, what she's exposed to. And I also can tell what led her ultimately to make that decision. You know what I'm saying? You come from poverty, you come from struggle. You're going to do some things, you know, because you might be desperate. You might right. need money. You know what I'm saying? And if it means you got to rob an old lady just so you could eat, that's what some young people might do, you know? And, I, and I'm looking at that situation and I'm like, man, what would it be if I could have a restorative justice circle with this young person or these young people and that Asian lady and whoever else that's a part of that community to really resolve this issue, you know, or repair the harm that was done. Cause if you really think about it, let's say they do find this girl, they, they um, yeah. arrest her and she gets locked up. She gets put in juvenile hall. Supposedly that's better for society, right? That, that just helped we got another person off the streets. We just cleaned up the streets or whatever, right? But if you really think about it, how does that help that young person, number one? 
right? Does that traumatize them or yeah. make them worse? You know, do they get like in most cases in that scenario, like is that environment going to be good for that that young person's rehabilitation, right? Or is it or is it going to change their circumstances when they come out? You know what I'm saying? On top of that, the person that was right. victimized, right? What does that do for them? Right? Because at the end of the day, now that you've been robbed or you've been beaten or whatever the case may be by a young African-American girl, every time you see another young African-American girl coming towards you, you're going to think the same thing. Right? She's going to do something to me. She's going to harm me. You know what I'm saying? And you're just going to put people, and people do this mm -hmm. a lot. They put a whole group in a box. You know what I'm saying? And and that is because you're traumatized or you have a level of PTSD because nobody addressed the harm that happened to you. Right? But if we had a restorative justice circle with you and those young people, and I really got you to see right. who this young person really is as a human being and why they chose to make these bad decisions, maybe you would think a little bit differently about them. You know what I'm saying? Maybe you won't forgive them. Maybe you will. Who knows? But at the same time, you will get an understanding or a view of not seeing them just as this vile creature, but actually a human being that might be struggling, that might be suffering, you know, and might have made, might have just made a bad decision because of the circumstance, you know, and you was a victim of that, right? you know, and maybe you can find some empathy in you, but at the same time, heal. You know, because that person can take some accountability for their actions and, and see the harm that they caused you. But also you can look at them and say, wow, I see why you did that. You know, and you just gave and you just gave that person. And if you did something like that, you actually gives that person permission to yeah. forgive themselves. Like, damn, maybe maybe now the community doesn't throw me away or alienate me or feel like I shouldn't be here. Because if you don't care about me or my parents don't care about me, why should I give a fuck about you? Right. You know? So just yeah. having that, you know what I'm saying? Like Definitely. And, and so you started this by saying like the criminal legal system, police, and then community. This sounds like just about community to me. I'm curious where you think like the application to. Because I think like the, the legal system, like you, you arrest somebody, you put them into the system. It doesn't rehabilitate them. It just kind of just, you bring them around an environment that makes them worse. You know what I'm saying? And then you just send them back out on the streets and they reoffend, and it just keeps happening. It just keeps recycling, recycling, recycling. Right, right. So like, and there's no like form of support. You know what I'm saying? And eventually for most young, you know, black and brown men or uh, young women, they they end up becoming like a reoffender and they and and damn they into their adulthood, they're in prison. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And th and that's why I said like, you know, prison, law enforcement, all of those things alongside the community because we are responsible, you know, like that that quote says like um, a child that's neglected will burn down a village to yep. fill its warmth. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. You know? Does that mean that we're doing restorative justice training with police officers? Yeah. 
Mm. Yeah, you know, I know I know police officers that that worked in Oakland that that do amazing work. You know what I'm saying? That do amazing that go that have relationships with families that they do um they have Saturday programs with kids. They play basketball with the kids every weekend that do like real impactful work in the city. You know, mm-hmm. and they're police officers. You feel me? And they're black men. You right. know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That like care about their community, that one like it's a difference between being a police officer that wants to impact your community in one way versus somebody that just wanna lock everybody up because you want to clean up the streets. Sure. You know what I'm saying? And you're not from there or you're not from somewhere similar to there, so you don't even understand the culture. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, man, and It'll be hard to, you know, hold space with some folks that might have their own beliefs because you're still a human. Even if you're a police officer, you're still a human being with your own belief system, with your own ideas of the way, you know, this society is or how people are, you know, and we have to break that, you know, we have to figure out a way to break that. And it's and the only way is to be able to communicate. Yeah. You know, and if it means there need to be a restorative justice circle to change people's perspective, you know, and get people to see their human, their human, and also, you know, for folks in the community to see, to see, like, man, maybe not all police are bad, you know, maybe not all police are racist. The system is, you know, the police academy or like whoever is racist, you know, but. Maybe there's some good people in there that can actually change that. Hmm. Yeah, that's all. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. You have a lot more faith in that than I do. <laughs> I know, I know, because I, I, I ain't gonna lie. Like I'm an abolitionist too. Like I, you know, we should be abolishing that and thinking of you know other ways to you know let the community figure this out. But because in my but mind, on, like on, you're talking about like those police officers who are doing these programs, you don't need to be a police officer to do these programs. Right. Right. For sure. Most <laughs> that money definitely. could just like be Most in the community. <laughs> right. Exactly. You gotta and that's a good ass point. Like you don't have to be a police officer to do these programs. You know? But shit. Yeah. That, that's I mean, yeah. You made a good point there. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. Right. And and I know like ninety percent of police work is not um, you know, shooting people, right? I right. think police are asked to do too much um, and it should not be police officers responding to a lot of the things that police officers are responding to, right. but we could, this, that in itself could be a whole entire podcast. These are supposed to be the quick questions right. to get us out of here. You right. get to sit in circle with four other people. Who are they? And what do you talk about? That's your question. Yeah. Four other people. Could it be anybody in particular? Or? Could be anybody. It's it's the version of like, uh, you get to have dinner with four people, but okay. since it's restorative justice, you get to sit in circle with four people. Who are they? What do you talk about? Man. Mike Tyson. <laughs> Real talk. Um, Bob Marley. Marcus Garvey. And um, Maya Angelou. Hmm. What do you talk about? Life. Life, man. This life in itself. I feel like every person that I mentioned has like so much wisdom 
that I can learn from. And believe it or not, even Michael, even like Mike Tyson, man. Like I don't know if you h ever seen his podcast, Hot、um, Boxing. But, I mean,、you、brother's been it through it. Oh my god, man! And just to see who he is now,、mm-hmm. and for him to recognize, like his growth, and also like the trauma,、mm-hmm. and like who he was, he doesn't like that person. Right. Who he was, you know, and and just watching who he is now, like I'm so、um, impressed with the way he's he's like growing as an individual. So just between him, Bob Marley, just like his whole thought process of just like life and like what's riches versus, you know, what's important, you know, and um, who else? And I said、um, Marcus, Marcus Garvey. Garvey. Just his whole like concept of Pan Africanism and the diaspora, and you know how we should be connected worldwide, and just Maya Maya Angelou, man, just her spirit, you know, and just her deep thought process into love and、um, appreciation for the small things, you know. I think that would be such a like interesting conversation、mm. to have with those individuals. I like. I'm about to use that. I'm about to steal this one, bro. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> Take it. It's yours. That's a good. That's that's a good one.、Um, what's one thing you want everyone listening right now to know? Man, I, I just want. I want folks to know. I mean, and I and I I, I really want to speak. First, to towards you know black people, to um to continuously like to have hope and focus on joy. I think that's important for us in terms of our mental health and our wellness. Is to not get caught up in trying to fight this oppressive system, you know, because it can be tiring and it can kill you. Just the stress in itself. But、um, to focus on joy and your health and your wellness and taking care of yourself,、mm-hmm. and、uh, and collectively for everyone as human beings,、um, to just practice, you know, just being human, man. Human, this this humanity as a whole, just how we how we see each other, you know, it's beautiful to have differences and. You know, belief systems and the way we see the world and the way we engage, but also be respectful to each of those differences. You know, even if somebody doesn't agree with you, you know, doesn't mean that you know you should want to cause harm or bring harm to that person. You know, I think that I think that's something I would want people to practice more of because we were definitely at a, a stage. That's become volatile and、um, hurtful in many ways, and、um, the way society is going right now, like it's not going to benefit anyone. It's not going to benefit any of us if we continue this way.、Mm. So, yeah, yeah. Thank you.、Um, and finally, who's one person I should have on this podcast? Caveat: You have to help me get them on. <laughs> okay. 
Uh, I would say I can help you for sure. Either Kenny Moore, Malachi, Gary, Eric Butler. I don't know if you know who that is. Yeah, I know. I um, we've never spoken, but I know who he is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I can get those folks to you for yeah. sure. Um, or even young people. Yeah. You know. For sure. Yeah, I would. Sure. I would really honestly love that. Uh, we've had. One young person uh, who is a graduate of OUSD who is actually the second uh, person on this podcast. His name is Griffin. Oh, <laughs> I met him on that webinar, actually. Uh, I don't know if you remember Griffin Castillo. Um, yeah. <laughs> he's actually working with me doing the things that we're doing at Amplify what? RJ. Like, actually, I'll plug this. Uh, oh, I don't know when this is going to run. No, this isn't mm-hmm. going to run in time. But uh, he's facilitating uh, some of the intro to restorative justice workshops that I'm offering. But uh, I've also given him the platform to run uh, nice. youth empowerment and restorative justice workshops. And so he's done See, that man. with like. See, man. Man, I'm not taking no credit for that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but man, I appreciate that, man. That's so dope. That's what that's what I'm talking about. Like creating that 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 space or that forum where you network network with people mm-hmm. and you and and also like say okay let's do this together like just collaborations that's what i love and that's something that i've done a lot is just like if i know somebody's good at something and then i might know somebody that can actually work with you cuz i feel like they're good at that too i usually bring them together then just back up just let yeah. them do their thing yeah so, so yeah thanks to you that <laughs> like that's that's how griffin got here and he's been doing uh some really dope work uh yeah and i don't want to take all the credit because you know he's just doing his thing it's just like here's the platform young man for sure go forth and um, for sure that's fire man i appreciate that that's what's up i think that's a good place to uh end out on uh thank you so much uh rj for uh being here with us um and we'll talk to everybody else next week Absolutely, man. Peace. Quick update. Griffin is taking a break from Amplifier J to focus on school and his work in Oakland Unified School District. You can still catch the on-demand version of his Youth Empowerment and Restorative Justice Workshop and all our other offerings at the link in the description. Like what you heard? Please subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast on whatever platform you're using right now. It really helps us further amplify this work. You can also support us by following us on our social platforms, signing up for our email list, rocking our new merch, joining our Patreon, or signing up for a workshop. So many options! Links to everything in the show notes and on our website, AmplifyRJ.com. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you next week.